Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. Each of these messages were given by various faculty, staff, and friends of Emmaus Bible College. To view each series as a whole, or for more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. That's C-O-N-C-E-R-N-I-N-G-H-I-M.com. Welcome back to our study of the Gospel according to Matthew. We are in the midst of our study of the crucifixion, and we've been uh, looking at Matthew chapter 27, thinking especially about the themes of mockery and humiliation and the insults that the Lord Jesus endured. And um, I've divided this the text of uh, chapter 27, verses 27 to 49, into three sections. The first one uh, was the mockery from the soldiers in verses 27 to 31. And then last time we also saw the mockery from the crucifixion itself in verses 32 to 38. And in this episode, I would like for us to consider this last section in which there's the mockery from the onlookers in verses 39 through 49. Uh, we'll start reading our text, however, it just to get a good running start in verse 33. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads, saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani? That is, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders, hearing it, said, This man is calling for Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, Wait, let's, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. The third section, again, focuses on the mockery from the onlookers, and it goes from verses 38 to 39. And there are th- here three different groups which taunt the Lord Jesus. There are those who simply pass by, wagging their heads. There are the religious leaders, and there are the criminals. Now, let's consider for a moment this first group that passes by. They are described as those who wag their heads. Uh, This is an ancient way of showing scorn or derision, kind of like, I told you so, or what a shame. Now, there's a reference to Psalm 22 here, and we'll consider that in a few moments. Uh, But there also may be a reference to Lamentations, which has stronger lexical links. And what I mean by saying that is that it has more words in common than uh, Psalm 22. Uh, Let me just read that verse for you. All who pass along the way clap their hands at you. They hiss and wag their heads at the daughter of Jerusalem. 
Is this the city that was called the perfection of beauty, the joy of all the earth? Now, what's going on in Lamentations is Jeremiah is, it's like he's singing a a funeral dirge because of the destruction of Jerusalem because of her sin. Uh, We can remember in the Gospel of Matthew that the Lord Jesus has, similarly to Jeremiah, predicted the destruction of Jerusalem because of her sin and that the temple would be destroyed. I like the way John Nolan puts it succinctly as always. He says, quote, But because of the recent echo of Psalm 22 in Matthew 27, 35, the presence of this image in Psalm uh, 22, verse 7 is likely to be particularly in mind. And yet, given the stronger language links with Lamentations 2, 15, where Jerusalem is the mock sufferer, that text is also likely to be in view. There may be irony in the connection with Lamentations 2.15. That which is happening to Jesus will lead to a repetition of the same act of mockery as in Lamentations 2.15 to be directed against these present mockers as residents of Jerusalem when Jerusalem meets its doom in a repetition of the 6th century BC experience, end quote. The, the taunt that we then read, if you are the Son of God, echoes the temptation in the wilderness, which we saw in Matthew chapter 4. And so the reader is signaled to remember that the real enemy at work, you remember those temptations, if you are the Son of God, then turn these stones into bread. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, etc. So the reader is probably being signaled here to remember that the real voice behind all of these humans is the devil himself. But as he was resolute then, so he endures even now. Some standing by hear his cry, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, and mistakenly think that he's calling for Elijah. Now, we've already seen that Elijah was known to have end-time significance, but he was also believed to help people in times of distress. So the offer of sour wine was not so much an act of mercy as it was enabling Jesus to endure on the cross just a little bit longer to see if Elijah really would come down from heaven and save him. However, these words not only set us up for the jeer regarding Elijah, but they also provide us with actually the only window Matthew gives us of Jesus' response to his suffering on the cross. Everything else we read are records of things that are done to him. This is the only time that we read of Jesus' positive response in the Gospel of Matthew, that is. This has been called the cry of dereliction. It's best viewed not as a question, as if Jesus has momentarily forgotten the plan of redemption. Instead, it's an expression of his heart as he felt abandoned by God. How far we are, again, from those Gnostic Gospels, which we uh, talked about in an earlier episode, which have Jesus' spirit hovering over the event and laughing because these things are only done to an image of him. Instead, this window uh, that we get to see what's actually going on in the suffering, not only of Jesus' body, but also of his soul, uh, from the unimaginable physical and emotional torture that he endured. Yet, The remarkable thing about this expression is that on the one hand, it expresses the abandonment that Jesus felt, but on the other hand, without diminishing that suffering, that hopelessness that was there, there's also a ray of hope. Jesus knew, of course, that this was a quote from Psalm 22, and by 
saying these exact words, Jesus points us back to that psalm so we can learn what he knew and what he was thinking. Obviously, the Lord Jesus himself knew the context of Psalm 22. And it's a good suggestion that when he cites from that psalm, he's hoping that the people who are listening, or at least Matthew is hoping that the people who are reading his gospel will say, hey, that reminds me of something. Oh yeah, that's right, Psalm 22, and they would be interested enough to turn back in their Bibles or in the in the community of the synagogue or whatever access they have to the scriptures to go back and reread Psalm 22. And if that's their hope, uh, we should actually do it ourselves. So let's take a few moments and read Psalm 22. And as I do so, I want you to listen carefully to the, uh, the dots that can be connected between what David was going through in that psalm and what the Lord Jesus is enduring. It reads like this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. And you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. And you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust at my mother's breasts. On you I was cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open their they open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within my breast, my strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death, for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over all the nations. All the prosperous of the earth 
eat and worship. Before him they bow, all who go down to the dust, even those who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. Now, one of the incredible things about this psalm, obviously, is the many connection points there are between uh, what this figure was going through and then what the Lord Jesus himself went through. But I want to particularly draw your attention to the way that the psalm ends. Clearly, this is a psalm of lament, but yet it ends in victory. And yet it ends in not just victory for the suffering figure himself, but it ends in victory that somehow impacts everybody in the whole world. There are all nations who are worshiping God in light of the uh, deliverance that was given to this suffering figure. So the Lord Jesus, by having this in his mind and by telling us to understand the events of the crucifixion in light of Psalm 22 is telling us that suffering is not the end. His suffering has a purpose. It will end somewhere, and the end result is that everyone will be able to be in God's presence, even those who go down into the dust of death, will then be in God's presence because of what he's done. Now, this is an incredible way to read this psalm. From this perspective, Jesus is suffering unimaginable grief, and yet it's within the context of Scripture, a psalm of lament, which which ends in vindication. Now, we can connect this with the way that Matthew's narrative so quickly transitions to the people saying, truly, this man was the Son of God. Now, whatever they meant by that, it's clearly a rebuke to the wrong judgment of the earlier passers-by and the religious leaders. They mocked him, if you are the Son of God. But they were wrong. He really is the Son of God. This, in in connection with Psalm 22, overturns the mockery that we've just seen. The crown of thorns, the purple cloak, uh, the reed in his right hand. The real perspective is to see through the mockery and realize that this man truly is the Son of God. The humiliating throne scene with the Titulus and the two others, one in his right hand and the other on his left. Uh, The one in the center truly is the Son of God. My prayer is that you can see who Jesus really is, the true king, not just in spite of his humiliating death on the cross, but because of it as well. My prayer is that you can agree with the words of the hymn writer, sinners in derision crown him, mocking thus the Savior's claim. Saints and angels crowd around him, own his title, praise his name. Crown him, crown him, crown him, crown him, spread abroad the victor's fame. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit emmaus.edu slash partner.